Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel reading from Mark 6 with an emphasis on these words. But when Herod heard of Jesus' teaching, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Well, friends, there's no beating around the bush with today's gospel reading. This is not a feel-good text. For as Jesus' ministry begins, as we see he and his disciples leaving Nazareth for the regions surrounding the Sea of Galilee, we also see the ministry of John the Baptist come to a rather abrupt and inglorious end. In many ways, the discerning reader could view this text as a fulfillment of what we heard Jesus talk about last week in Mark 6, as well as being its direct continuation. It could also rightly be interpreted as a rebuke of the so-called prosperity gospel preachers. For the life and the death of John the Baptist stands to witness to us that there is indeed a cost to following Jesus. And that cost, be it by martyrdom or no, is one's very life. Now for this reason, we in the Lutheran Church are in the habit of asking all of our confirmands and all of our adult, uh, all of our adult converts when they are called to give witness before the congregation, we ask this question. Would you renounce everything, would you suffer everything, even death, for the sake of this Christian confession? Now, friends, you have all, at some point in your faith, save for our littlest ones, been asked this exact question. And I tell you, these are not idle words. These are not symbolic words. Whether or not the Christian is martyred, rest assured there will inevitably come a time in your life of faith where you will be persecuted in some form for the sake of Jesus Christ. For John, this meant precisely what we have already read, that despite being thrown in prison, despite shame and scorn and humiliation and beheading, Still, God had called him to preach the truth to King Herod Antipas concerning his adulterous relationship with his brother's wife, Herodias. And being so called, John did indeed give testimony to Herod. As you and I read this sordid tale, there's no doubt that there is a part of us which is tempted to view it entirely in terms of law and of loss. We say to ourselves, what a waste. What a sad and miserable end for such a great man. For John bar Zechariah, the man who was called the baptizer, even identified by Jesus as the Elijah who was to come. This man, he spent his last days rotting away in some dank prison cell before the lecherous Herod called for his head after being seduced 
by his own niece-slash-stepdaughter. We hear this story, and we recognize it as an affront to justice. We call it a humiliation to one of Scripture's most faithful servants. We hear this story read to us time and again, and we, like the people of Nazareth from last week's gospel lesson, we are scandalized. We are offended that a tale like this could make it into the gospel of salvation. We are offended because the implications of this story, well, they go beyond that of simply the person of John the Baptist. This text has implications not just for him, of course, but for all of Jesus' own disciples and all who would come after them. That means you and me as well. For Jesus warns them and us later in Mark's gospel, be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Doesn't exactly sound like Jesus' mincing words here, does it? He's telling us, as he told his disciples, in no uncertain terms, that those who follow him shouldn't hold their breath to wait to win any popularity contests. In fact, at worst, they could very much expect to wind up like St. John the Baptist, beaten, persecuted, and killed by those in power, all for what? All for the sake of Jesus. Now, perhaps at this point, you're probably starting to squirm at the whole prospect of even beginning to follow Jesus in the first place. You might very well be sitting there saying to yourself, geez, I don't know, pastor. This does not sound like what I signed up for. But friends, I tell you, it's easy to make a profession of your faith in front of other faithful people. It's easy to pledge yourself even unto death when the whole prospect of death seems far away from you. However, when suffering and death actually come knocking, as they did for John, well then, it's easy to lose sight of the gospel to which you are pledged. It's easy then to fall into doubt and hopelessness. But, dear brothers and sisters, would it surprise you, perhaps, to learn that these things that I speak of to you today in such harsh terms, as well as our entire gospel reading for this morning, it is not an account of hopelessness, but it is an account of hope. Dear friends, let's go ahead and re-examine this reading from John 6, or Mark 6. <laughs> let's, let's take time to, to look at it as the disciples themselves would have looked at it. And that is from back to front. Because as we know, this text was a flashback. You see, when we come to Mark 6, 14, we learn that John had already been arrested and beheaded. The humiliation, the suffering, the death of the prophet, this had already taken place. And so, King Herod and Herodias, when we enter this text, they were already living 
comfortably unaware of the coming reckoning of their hedonistic and self-gratifying ways. They did not yet know the name of Jesus. In fact, it was confidently perched within his palace halls that King Herod first heard the news of a certain carpenter coming out of Nazareth with a message which sounded eerily familiar to his ears. So much so that when Herod heard of it from his attendants, he cried out in fear and dismay, Well, John the Baptist, whom I beheaded, has come back from the dead. Well, no, Herod, John the Baptist had not yet come back from the dead. This was no vengeful ghost out for blood and vengeance on Herod Antipas. But rather, it was something much worse for Herod. It was the long-promised Messiah whom John had foretold. Now imagine how terrifying that prospect must have been. That John, whom Herod beheaded, that John, whom Herod had imprisoned, and who through his scandalous behavior had killed, this John was right all along. For St. Mark recalls at the very first verse of this passage that Jesus' name had become known. Jesus' name had become known. And there, right there, believe it or not, is the entirety of the gospel, the good news of today's gospel reading. Blink and you'll miss it, but within these five simple words is packed the culmination of more than 2,000 years of prophetic ministry. All the way from the beginning of God's covenant with Abraham to the death and beheading of John. All of the prophets, all of the faithful children of that covenant with Israel, each of them had waited for these words to at last be spoken, Jesus' name had become known. Because as Jesus' name is made known to the people, so also are all those things which accompany his name. It is as he proclaimed from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah to the people of Nazareth in last week's reading, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. With these words, the gospel of salvation is pronounced upon all who hear. And the voices of those, of those old, long-dead prophets and judges and keepers of the law, those men and women who forecasted the coming of kingdom, all of them are vindicated at the knowledge of this Jesus Christ. In fact, so transformational is his coming that even those like John, those who are dead or imprisoned, they too are glorified in its wake. For to know the name of Jesus is to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that the words and the promises of God are good. For his name is the good news that those long dead prophets so desperately yearned for in their day, that they would at last see the salvation of the Christ when he comes to reconcile sinful man 
back to his God. And so today, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, right now I tell you, in your very hearing, this yearning has been satisfied. Those oppressed in body, mind, or spirit have good news preached to them by him who has come to give them healing. Those like John, who were persecuted or imprisoned for the sake of their faith, they are liberated by him who has come to loose their chains. Those who are dead in their trespasses, those like you and me, they are given the certain hope of the resurrection of the flesh by him who suffered death upon Calvary's cross for their sake. The Christ of God has come. He has come among us, and so let his name be known. For he is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the carpenter's son. He is the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. He is not some far-off, pie-in-the-sky Messiah. He has a name and a face and a body like yours and mine, which John did behold with his very eyes so that he was given hope and confidence to speak the truth to King Herod, even though it would mean his death. And so, let that same Messiah who gave John such courage be your hope, and your confidence when the ills and challenges of this mortal life assail you even unto your death. For I tell you, the good news which the prophets anticipated and which the apostles witnessed so long ago, that same good news is for you and for me a present reality. The Christ who has come at the time appointed by the Father comes now to you and to me this very day. He comes with his gospel of salvation. He comes with the good news of his victory over the grave by his suffering and death upon Calvary's cross. He comes with the promise of life immortal conferred on all who are baptized into his name. He comes with healing for our souls in the pure spiritual medicine of his body and blood given and shed for us, and now present again in the Holy Eucharist. You know, dear friends, as we conclude this time of meditation on the Word together, it occurs to me that King Herod, though a little premature, did in fact acknowledge one very important truth. That John the Baptist, though he was imprisoned, Though he was shamed and suffered and was humiliated and killed for the sake of his confession, he would ultimately rise from the dead. He, like us, is given victory over the grave by that name which was made known to him. As it was for John, so it is for the whole Christian church today. Therefore, friends, let not the gospel elude you when sufferings come your way. For that truth of salvation, which John beheld at Jesus' coming, that truth remains good for you. The good news of all, for all God's people, both living and dead, is that very same name which was made known in the regions surrounding Galilee. That same name which the scriptures attest is above every name. 
even the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it is in his name. Amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.